Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, where an expert and a noob boldly go through Star Trek episode by episode. Uh, but not this week. This week we are leaving behind Classic Trek, and we are going to talk about Strange New Worlds Season 2. However, there's nothing I can do about the fact that my name is still JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Kev Kuzer. Say hi, Kev. Hi. Are you ready to get started with the second season of Strange New Worlds? I'm very ready. I just had uh, nine great, fun, one-off adventures, and then the Gorn showed up. So <laughs> that really threw off my day, but I'm ready to talk about it. They're always party poopers. They're always there to cause trouble. But of mm. course, we couldn't tackle a whole season of television all by ourselves. So we welcome back to the podcast, Rachel. Say hello, Rachel. Hello. I'm so happy to be here again. It's, it's lovely to have you back. Now, um, normally we would turn to our guests and ask what their history with Star Trek is, but we've already done that with you, so that feels somewhat redundant. Um, so let's kind of keep a focus on 21st century Star Trek. How have you found getting through um, Strange New Worlds, and have you been exploring any of the other 21st century shows? I've been enjoying Strange New Worlds, and I really, really, really love Lower Decks. Um, and I've bounced pretty hard off of um, Picard, and I tried Discovery, and everybody tells me, you know, you just keep going, but I just haven't quite had the the willpower to do that. I mean, just Don't typical kind of streaming structure problems, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's me. Is like it's like couple that I'm like meh, uh, one that I'm like oh my god yes, and then one that I'm like this is good fun. So. That's, that seems entirely fair. When you say you, you bounced on Picard, at what point did you bounce from it? Pretty early on. Um, again, the streaming structure where they they kind of, you know, they don't believe in episodes, but then you just see the same information <laughs> presented over and over again. <laughs> mm. Kind of had me going like, okay, and I wasn't sure, you know, like, like it's a choice. Um, and I know that, like, you know, Patrick Stewart has been doing a lot of these properties where he's like, what about my character, but old and broken? Um, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, that's a, that's a choice. I, I'm maybe not there for it. I, okay. I will admit though, when I saw, I was reading some reviews um, of it further along and I saw that seven of nine was showing up and I have an inexplicable fondness for Voyager. And I was like, oh, yay, maybe they'll do something cool. And she says that I saw the part of that episode and she looks really cool. And then <laughs> when they were like, and they slaughter the adorable sidekick from Voyager. I was like, no, I'm done with you. I'm like, I'm not even going to try. That's, that's You're fair. dead to me now, Picard. That's, that's fair, but I want to make it clear that there's nothing inexplicable about loving Voyager. It's easy to explain because Voyager is great. Now, before I get stuck into my own personal prejudices, uh, let's crack on with uh, the, first, the second season of uh, Strange New Worlds. So, um, Kev, would you like to give us an introduction to the first episode? All right, uh, I'll make these intro-shows brief for each episode, because we are going episode by episode at varying speeds. But the Broken Circle, uh, as the ship all broke apart at the end of the last season with crew members going in different directions, it's the second season, so everyone comes back together. Uh, they find Lon on a Klingon planet, and Mbenga and Chapel beat a bunch of Klingons up to save the day. I can't really remember the details of this one. That's uh, tipping my hand of what I feel about it. Nope, that's that's exactly the summary I feel this episode needs. And I don't care about this episode. I'm really sorry. I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of people who are deeply invested in uh, Mabangang and, and Chapel as, as sort of traumatized war victims or whatever, but I'm afraid I'm not amongst their, their number. Uh, yeah, th this, was a, this was kind of a weak start to the season, I thought. We might shine a little more light on that subplot later in this discussion, but yeah, the 
worst subplot of the season by far. I did not care about that backstory at all, and it didn't fit other character at all. I also thought it was really funny how fast they were just like, yeah, mutiny. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah, like, like Pike was like, what, 10 minutes off the ship? And then, like, Spock, of all people, was like, you know what sounds like a fun idea right now? What if we just steal the ship? And then also that was just like, okay. The Starfleet was like, I guess that's fine. <laughs> the... The Spock stuff is the best stuff of that episode. And yeah. I love the spock chap relationship. Again, a subplot we'll get into later on in this discussion. But that is the strongest material of the episode. Strong enough. And the lawn, and lawn's pretty good in it. So I'm just going to give it a very reserved seven. That's right. I'm just throwing a grade out already. We need to talk about it more. <laughs> I think I'm going to give this one, oh, five and a half. I just didn't care about it. I uh, I was I was happy to see uh, 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 Admiral April back. That's always nice. Yeah, the Spock stuff was the best of it. But all that messing around, and I really had to stop myself from swearing there, but all that messing around with, with Chapel and Mabenga, I just don't care. The false flag thing seems really clunky mm. and a desperate attempt to kind of do a bit of political arrogance. So yeah, I'm, go- I'm giving it a five and a half. I'll split the difference and say six and a half because I have, like, again, it didn't super engage me, but I was late. I was watching some television. There was nothing that I, like, outright hated. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I hated was the super beat people up drug, but that is <laughs> whatever. Uh, that, was a, that was a point out for me right there. One off. Clean out. <laughs> yeah, Eddie, carry on. Yes, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um at astra per the second episode uh we have una being put on trial for being an illyrian and it is a straight down the middle courtroom drama uh for some reason pike's girlfriend prosecutes her and that's weird but otherwise yeah she gives a lot of inspiring speeches about what the federation means to her and it's kind of wonderful i literally like this episode um it's I don't have much to say about it because it is very cliche but it's very comforting and it's use of cliche and tropes and I think Rebecca Romaine gives an incredible performance in it. It's definitely like straight Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a, a little too straight for my taste, I have to be honest. I, I don't think that this is a badly executed episode, um, but it, it's one where I feel the courtroom drama, It's it. I mean, I know they always are with these things, but it's such a foregone conclusion. Um, and like the evil mustache twirling Vulcan on the on the like the prosecuting bench and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I don't know. I, I also I don't really care about the whole uh, anti genetic modification stuff in in Star Trek. Um, it feels really kind of clunky, and I feel it gets in the way of a lot of stuff. So um, I'm really glad that this episode ties off um, the whole thing with number one and and uh, all the rest of it. But I just. I find it really hard to get invested. Like some of the speeches are are nice, but they reminded me a lot of those speeches that you get in a new series, Doctor Who, where uh, like Russell T. Davis or whoever has gone back and just rewritten something by Robert Holmes that sounds as inspiring, but it also feels a bit derivative. Um, and I kind of get a lot of that with this. It's like, there's lots of uh, bits from like Measure of the Man from uh, next generation and the drum head particularly um and it's all fine but it just i don't know maybe this is maybe this is where we we split the difference between the noob and the expert because i've heard all this stuff before and this doesn't bring anything new to the table i mean that is a very good point i have not seen measure of a man i know about reputation but yeah i for me like i mean i've seen courtroom dramas before oh sure (laughs) but yeah it's like yeah, maybe it's, I was just much more taken with the sort of ideas of um, I, it. Really, it really does come down to the titular monologue 
and that comes into play later on in the season as well, where just, like, they do a good job, I think, sketching out her backstory, which has cliche in it, but it let, gets you to this point where Romaine can really, like, sink her teeth into it and mm. knock stuff out of the park. And I really like her scenes with Christina Chong. I think they still have a great relationship throughout this season, as they did last season. So all their scenes together are really great. Um, yeah, it. I don't know. It just it worked for me in a very solid way. I think I'm just going to throw up my grade now. Eight. I, my feelings towards this was a bit kind of like uh, when there was like that X-Files revival. And, you know, you're watching an episode and you're just like, wow, you're so back on your bullshit, X-Files, but I'm here for it. You know, like, um, and, and of course, having this be part of a, you know, mini season, you know, these kind of this new like 10, eight or 10 episode things mm. makes it a little feel like a little more boring and less ambitious to kind of, you know, retrade this or anything. But especially if this was like a 22 episode season, you know, maybe I wouldn't love this, but I'd be like, oh, yeah, some of that like you know, Star Trek's back on its bullshit and I'm here for it. Um, you know, and like, you know, yeah. nice stirring speeches and everything, you know, do I think it was an amazing episode of television? Definitely not. It, it definitely leans a little bit too much into retreading the same thing. And, and I have a little bit, and this will come up again, I have a little reservation with Strange New Worlds, especially this season, with the degree to which it's kind of doing that fanficy thing of like, playing with you know coloring within the lines and it's like okay we're gonna have kind of this canon is like this thing that we have to fit into um and therefore you know we're gonna go back and we're gonna ex like explore this whole Illyrian thing and and you know mine that for depth except you still are still in the same structure and so like you can only do it kind of shallowly um and I you know I as fanfic that's quite fine um but I feel like in this season and especially with things like this it it starts to be like, wow, this could be interesting if you were willing to commit to it, but you can't because you're still within the structure of, you know, this canon. Um, so I'd say, you know, uh, I'd say like a solid six or seven, maybe seven would be nice. Seven. Yeah. I think I'll probably, I think I'll probably go for a seven in this one as well. It's, it's, it's fine for what it does. It's just that what it does isn't, really all that remarkable but it's 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 perfectly fine there's some good performances and at least it's at least it's trying so i'll 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 say that part so yeah i'll, I'll give it a seven yeah uh i guess to the point of this only being a 10 episode season um that is my biggest criticism of the season is i mean there's just no way around it with the way modern tv is produced unfortunately uh they should i mean they should just like cancel well they've canceled three of their shows ongoing so maybe next season they can redirect that budget into filming 20 episodes and having no one see their families again but uh yeah i this it's it's a season that's desperately needing more episodes to flesh out these characters and so the one-off courtroom episode doesn't feel like it has so much weight on its shoulders yeah i think so, yeah, that's I, entirely I totally fair. get that yeah. yeah yeah i think that's a discussion that's gonna come up a lot in this episode <laughs> Just copy and paste us saying that over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, uh, Lon encounters the time traveler. She goes to an alternate history where the Federation is not the Federation. There's just a bunch of like disparate people fighting each other. And she meets an alternate version of Captain Kirk. They figure out how time went along, arrive by going back to present day. Uh, I want to say Vancouver. It was a city in Canada for sure. Which is oh Toronto, great joke there about where it's filmed. 
you gotta love the budget saving. Uh, they have a romance, but then the alternate Kirk is shot by a Romulan who's altering the past by doing something with Khan, I can't remember. But uh, Lon kills her and resets time back the way it is. Uh, okay, um, Rachel, why don't you go first in this one? How, how did you find this? Well, as I think if we discussed last time, I freaking love time travel episodes. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like super pumped for this. And I, you know, kind of back, <laughs> be back in your bullshit thing. I love shenanigans. Like people are stuck in time and there's an alternate version. And like when they go back and, um, you know, the tie in with going back and finding Pelia and she's not an engineer and all of that stuff, like, you know, chef's kiss on, on that stuff. I'm usually a hundred percent there for it. Um, I felt kind of, and, and like the acting on this is great. Like, I kind of wish they hadn't used Kirk or, you know, he's like, the actor is amazing. So, you know, the, the same show, but if it wasn't Kirk, right? Because again, it just kind of locks it in too much that it feels like a bit like, oh, well, you know that this isn't going to work. You know how it's going to happen. And it feels hard to invest in it. And you know that they're also not going to take the kind of a swing that like Farscape did where they're like, well, now what if they're just two um, and we have to deal with that? Um, and so it's like, I keep kind of poking at it because I feel like a lot of the elements that I really like, you know, and, and I'm not expecting a lot were there, but the way they were arranged or, or like the structure of it, or just, there just were some choices that made it feel like it maybe wasn't as solid as it could have been like I just kind of was like okay what do we do oh wait now we're now we're on the thing about her family and and also there's this you know and, and so I really like the character of Lon and I really love I mean I have such a soft spot for um you know kind of like the tightly controlled uh person who you know has come from you know as a survivor of some pretty you know, hard stuff who's, you know, just all tightly wrapped up in themselves. And then they meet someone who kind of gives them the space and, and kind of pulls them out of their shell a little bit. And um, I just love that. Like, that was a whole thing in Fringe. And that was excellent. Um, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, especially when you get kind of the gender uh, reversal in that, because I feel like that's very cliche when it's, um, you know, the, 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 tight strung man and the uh and the manic pixie girl <laughs> but let's go around i'm like yes cool kirk kirk is the you know manic, manic pixie dream girl for land sure i'm, I'm there for it but uh, again just all the bits they just didn't uh, it feels like the elements were there but something didn't quite gel them together i'm really interested to hear what you both thought it's interesting because i have all the same positives that you have, but then like the one big negative that the playing around with canon limits them. I, it, that really affected me because it's like, oh, they're playing with a dramatic irony here. Like that's made it even more impactful for me was knowing that they can't be together. And so because Christina Chong and uh, Paul Wesley, is that his name? I um, have Wikipedia open again, Paul Wesley, yes. Um, they had such good chemistry and I was really enjoying them hanging out together. And knowing the sort of looming sword of in seven, nine, however many years of in canon time, Kirk is going to be very single and swinging around the galaxy. Uh, that's, oh, so this isn't going to work out. There is something troubled here. And that was just like, it got me more invested in the same way I get really invested in Spock and Chapel, where knowing it's kind of doomed and they're going through a lot of ups and downs really like lights a fire in me. 
I, yeah, and then, so all that made all the bits sort of do cohere for me. Like, just co-sing everything said, I love time travel. I love shenanigans. I loved their dynamic. Uh, I thought all the comedy bits in the episode were great. Even the con stuff, which is like pretty awful on paper. It's like, yeah, but it's dealing with her backstory and how, and she, this comes up later in the season, but when this relationship comes up again and she talks about how this other Kirk saw her, not like did not recognize the name and just saw her as she was, that makes it almost worth it to go down that rabbit hole. And at least it didn't go down very deep. He's just a little kid who's a MacGuffin. So yeah, I, I don't know. I unreservedly loved this uh, episode. I, well, there are times that I think the Wrath of Khan is one of the worst things that ever happened to Star Trek because nobody can <laughs> leave it that alone. It's, I'm, if I never have to hear the word Khan again, for as long as I live or watch Star Trek, I will be a happy, happy podcaster. Um, it's kind of, Khan kind of casts a sort of malignant shadow that has got nothing to do with the actual character and everything to do with the fact that the producers don't seem to be able to come up with another interesting idea. I kind of hate the fact um, that uh, Khan is in this and I hate the whole kind of genetic le- legacy thing and Star Trek doesn't have enough uh, it's not light in its feet to be able to deal with subjects like eugenics because it treats it in a very kind of slap-handed sort of way. Um, I think there, I think there are good things about this episode, but of all the episodes, I think of this whole season, I found this one the most frustrating. Like, I like Paul Wesley as an actor, and I think the rapport uh, between him and between Lan is uh, really good in this episode. But I wish Paul Wesley wasn't playing Kirk because he just isn't Kirk. It's so frustrating. If he was any other Federation officer, this episode and his place within Strange New Worlds, I think would be dramatically improved, both uh, dramatically in both senses of the word. Um, It's one of those things that what I loved about the first season of Strange New Worlds is that for the most part, not the not the conclusion where we go back to visit uh, Baron Terra, but for the most part, it just gets on with the business of being Star Trek. It doesn't need to be weighed down by clunky references to the past or here comes bloody Khan again or whatever it is. You know, it just told good Star Trek stories. We had a couple of legacy characters, uh, particularly Uhura and and Mabenga and Chapel, who were pretty much blank slates. You could do anything you like. That's fine. But it was free of all this kind of baggage. And tomorrow and tomorrow kind of plows itself into the airport baggage line of Star Trek, if you'll excuse an extremely <laughs> poor analogy. And it just frustrates me so much because I do think there's a lot of fun in this episode. I love Pelia, by the way. I haven't talk, mentioned her yet, but she's great. And I love Carol Kane. Mm-hmm. Such a great presence. I still miss I still miss Hammer, but she's such a great oh, kind yeah. of replacement. So wonderful. Lots of good energy in this, even though she's only on screen for a few minutes in this episode. Love it. And, and uh, the Romulan time traveler, sure, that's good stuff. But there's so much baggage that the show just can't get out of its way. This, this episode really, really frustrates me. And I, I, want, I want it so badly to be better than it is. And it, that's, it's, it's always frustrating when you watch a show and you think, but, but you can do 
better than this. Ah, it's it's deeply frustrating. She, Christina Chubb is so good in this episode. She's amazing. Oh, and yeah. she's stuck with in this kind of. Why is it Kirk? It shouldn't be Kirk. Why is it Khan? It shouldn't be Khan. Ah, ah, it drives me nuts. I'll stop talking now. It it feels very cathartic to hear you say it, though, in some ways, because I, you know, again, if you took individual elements, including including the acting, right, and the Mm. chemistry and the charisma, and and gosh, that line that Pelia has about she's keeping the uh, the uh, antiquities in case you know, for when the humanity decides it's over the whole <laughs> communist utopia thing or whatever oh, yeah. that line is. So good, right? Like, so good. And then it's also, but you're like, the whole thing together isn't doing it. You know, like, like you know, break free of your chains, you know, um, which will be really interesting when we get to the other time travel episode because I have some thoughts on that. But we'll, we'll let it lie, I think. <laughs> I'll, I'll let it go at this point. I, I think this is going to be very interesting going forward where um, a fact that I just realized is notwithstanding knowledge of Shatner's Kirk's performance and parodies of the character, and I guess seeing the original movies too, but since we started this podcast around when the first season aired, I've known the Shatner Kirk about as long as the Wesley Kirk. Uh, my Kirk is Chris Pine in a fundamental way. So yeah, his performance, like, yeah, that's Kirk. That, that's I like the way he says, my God. I think that is really funny and really well nailed. It's definitely not a Shatnerian performance. It's kind of a weird, I think I said this last year when we talked about the first season, it's kind of a weird middle ground between Shatner and Pine. And it was a little uncanny valley first season, but I, I liked him this season. I don't know. I don't know. Like I, said, I, I like I like him as a performer. I think the role that he's playing is really good. I just don't buy that it's Kirk. There's the, there was a scene in um, one of the episodes that we watched uh, from from the first season of, of of Toss, and I'm trying to think what it was. It wasn't in Balance of Terror, but there was a moment. Um, where uh, Shatner is sitting in the command chair and he isn't doing mm. anything, but he occupies the space. He just he just is. And every time I watch Paul Wesley trying to be Kirk, he isn't. He's just he's there. He's a great actor, but he doesn't have. He maybe it is a charisma thing. Maybe it's a screen presence thing, but he doesn't have. It, and it's not even that it's an earlier version of the same character. You don't expect somebody who's a lieutenant to have the same kind of dramatic poise as somebody who's a captain. That's mm. fine. But I just, I don't know, every time I see him, he just doesn't have... I think one of the things that defines Kirk is his confidence. He, It's not that he knows that he's always going to win. It's that he is always confident that he'll get to the end result that he wants. And those are two different things. And, and Shatner... Mm plays it that he always wins. He'll always get what he wants. And 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 Wesley doesn't. He plays it like he'll get there in the end. And it's just a fundamental fundamentally different way of approaching the character. But that's the whole point. Like you if if you're approaching if the character is so different in their approach to that kind of thing, it kind of isn't really the same character except in name. And that's why I find Wesley's so frustrating. I really do think he's a good actor. I just wish it wasn't Kirk he was playing. I think I'm similar in a similar boat, but maybe I actually am not as invested in, you know, like how well he's replicating kind of Kirk or fitting into that. Um, But I have kind of the same thing where I'm like, what would be different if this was, you know, Lieutenant Smith 
right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. the stuff he's done, and especially like I really liked how they used him um, last season in, in another time travel episode, right? Where they they have Pine um, in the place of of Kirk, you know, in the future, um, you know, if he if he doesn't have his sad ending, um, you know, and and like I really loved how they used kind of the different way of approaching the problem to kind of illustrate you know how these you know like some of pine's strengths and some of pine's weaknesses um and like you know it's exploring an old episode and, and all of that stuff so that's that's really cool but i'm just kind of like i don't know if it actually needs to be kirk you know like i know that it makes sense because they're oh we're changing time but um and then similar in this episode you know it doesn't like what does it change that it's kirk like if this was the same performance and the same actor you know and it's just a really good looking charismatic fun um you know captain that exists you know that that is the brother of one of her crewmates you know so she knows he exists and then they're having this whole time travel adventure and he's from an alternate world and there's like you know she has to meet his real self again and not have that really like, like it's still you know all the same elements are there but it just feels like the show especially this season is just really chaining itself with kind of canon so i don't know some some kind of middle ground i guess i guess that's i'm pretty close but um not as worried about the kirk thing necessarily i hadn't considered that before but you are totally right there is no reason this character could needs to be kirk in any of the times he shows up uh beyond like their one major, one very minor reason, I think they went forward with that. Well, and there was one superseding meta reason, which is that network notes probably put more Kirk in the show to make more people watch it. But the major narrative reason is the aforementioned dramatic irony of his and Lon's little flirtation. Uh, you know, and they, maybe we'll get to this in South Coast Rhapsody, but the way that ends is a very canon locked in way. Um, and so that, like I said before, like knowing it can't work out is kind of what makes that special to me. Uh, and the very minor reason is it's very funny in this episode for Kirk to do a very Kirk or any protagonist of a TV show thing where it's like, you can't call the bluff. You can't shoot me. I'm the lead of this TV show. He's an expendable Kirk. So he gets shot for his troubles. And that moment made me laugh very hard. That's fair. That is a really good moment in the episode. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't want to uh, harp on it too much, but it, it, you have just reminded me of another thing, because I, I get on the, like, the dramatic irony sense of, like, oh, this relationship can't work, and I feel like the difference between it and then the Spock and Chapel thing is, it's, the Spock and Chapel thing leans into it more, because you're actually exploring the relationship. Right. Um, in this episode, they introduce the idea of this relationship, but they also are like, yeah, we're not going to do anything with it. Like, so you don't even get that, like, oh, and they're going to have this relationship and they're, you know, you're going to explore this and you're going to mm -hmm. have these like romantic, passionate thing, but you know, something's going to happen in the future. Um, or they do this with Spock a lot because you also have Spock into Pring, right? Same deal. Um, but right. they're exploring it. And, and I'm like, you're not going to explore it. So stop teasing. <laughs> you know? yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, I think it's time to put a bow on this one. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot more episodes to get through. Uh, I'm just going to go with my very Pollyanna grade of nine. I really enjoyed this one, uh, unshackled from a relationship with old canon. I'll go with seven. I keep saying seven, but seven is my feeling. Uh, six and a half. Among the Lotus Eaters, uh, I think it's Pike, Lon, and Mabenga track down some lost uh, Federation crew. 
uh, and land up on a planet where they start losing their memories, the ship in orbit. Also, the people on there start losing their memories. Uh, they can't remember things time to time, eventually forget their sense of self. Eventually, they are, Pike and his section, even though they don't know who they are, wind up fighting their way to the leader of this planet, who, oh, is a stranded red shirt, which is hilarious. Uh, the villain of this episode is a stranded red shirt who can remember things thanks to a technobabble something rather than the plant that prevents the technobabble whatever radiation that blocks the memories. And Pike is enough of his inner self to complete this mission. Meanwhile, back on the ship, uh, Ortegas is given a little bit of a spotlight as she is able to retain enough of her memory of being a pilot to overcome the fear of the memory loss and pilot the ship outside of the sort of memory affecting sphere. Lovely. Um, I think of all the episodes of this season, this is the one which is most like classic Trek. And by classic, I mean Toss. Absolutely. Uh, it could yeah. not be more Toss if it was tossed up in the air. It's And I kind of love it for this. It's the first episode of the season that doesn't have any continuity baggage. It doesn't have any arcs. It's not beholden to canon. It's just the Enterprise goes on an adventure and this is a thing that happens. And I kind of love it for that. It's not necessarily a brilliant episode, uh, but I think it's a really, really solid one. I think everybody gets uh, a spotlight. It's lovely to see Ortegas actually get something to do. That's nice. Um, and the kind of the fear and then kind of rising up and taking the helm and all the rest of it, all that stuff as well handled. It's nice to actually have uh, Pike be front and center of an episode. Again, the first one really uh, in this season uh, for perfectly explicable reasons, you know, um, uh, you know, paternity leave and all that. And it's just a really fun episode. It's not very deep, but it's trying to say something about, you know, the core of who you are in a very kind of tossed sort of fashion. It's not deep in it, but it has a, has a kind of humanity to it, which is very kind of Star Trek, very 1960s toss. Um, and I just, I just kind of really like it. I really warm to it. And yeah, the idea that some random red shirt is just the guy that's running this planet now. Fantastic. That is so like so classic Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, Kev, I know we're yeah, not. I know, I, also... I know we're not there yet. But when we get to Rome Planet and and Nazi Planet, yeah, you'll mm -hmm. you'll you'll really feel this. Okay. Uh, yeah, I also loved this one. I think it's such a great concept, um, and they throw a lot of great ideas into that concept. It's just very. Not only is it very tossed, but and maybe these are one of the same. But it's very like classic sci-fi in general. Like I can imagine the short story written by a, I don't know, a Bradbury or Le Guin, that would be something like this concept where the society can't remember itself. And so they're stuck laboring forever. And in that hypothetical short story, you don't have uh, handsome TV stars beaming in and saving the day, but it's, <laughs> it's just such a great idea for an episode. Um, I, the stuff on the ship as well, just lets the actors there really, that's more of like, I guess, not really comedy side, there's a lot of drama there too, but the actors really sink their teeth into sort of playing up that aspect of it. They all do a good job. I think this is kind of our one half a showcase Melissa Navia gets as Erica Ortegas, and she does a great job doing it. I really like her performance as well. I think her and Anson Mount, understandably, because they're kind of the leads of their respective subplots, uh, really stand out in this one. I really liked it. It was 
pretty classic. Um, it kind of hit all the beats you expect it to hit. Um, maybe there was nothing in it that really sh like shown, you know, like I didn't, you know, sometimes uh, a show might do kind of a classic episode and you're like, oh my God, wow, this is the most, you know, incredible version of this. And my mind is blown and, and mm -hmm. you know, so good. Um, and this was like, this was great. It was fine. I enjoyed it. <laughs> but until we started talking about it, I kind of had forgotten a lot of it. Um, just like you were on the planet. Just like I was <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> so I don't really have a lot to say about that. I don't think that's unfair, though. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it feels like it's a regular episode of Star Trek that you would get in a in a you know 20th century Star Trek this would be about episode 9 or 10 in a season uh you know it's like good it's got a nice conceit to it there's some strong performances it tries to say something but doesn't overlabor it you roll the credits and you move on to the next one like I don't think there's anything uh I don't think there's anything wrong with that I think you're kind of right to highlight it uh, but it also means that it's kind of by its nature it's sort of like yeah, that was good. Really enjoyed that. Next. <laughs> yeah. If we're saying next, then <laughs> uh, I I gave another very Pollyanna-ish grade. I don't know. I wonder if seeing this with a big group of very like rowdy into it friends improved my opinions of these episodes grade wise, or if I'm just an mm. easy grader. But I gave this a nine. Oh wow. Okay, that's that was not that was not the swing I was expecting. I'm going to give it uh, probably an eight. I think I, I I did really I did really dig it, and it's just nice to have an episode of Star Trek that's content to be an episode of Star Trek and not have to worry about anything else. I think I'd go with an eight as well, and I think definitely with a group would have been a lot more fun for sure, um, because then you can you know you kind of clap along and and there's that wonderful energy you get mm -hmm. um, that you don't get when you are watching it, you know, after, you know, doing a bunch of administrative tasks, <laughs> like chores yeah. and things. You're like, okay, well, now watch some Star Trek. It's, you know, it's it's a less heightened emotional state. Yeah, I, all the episodes this season, I wound up watching with roughly the same group of people. Um, I, I don't know if I want to just call them out by name, but a couple of friends of the pod, let's say, and we just all had a great time. Uh, and... So yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe that does also inflate opinions when it's just you're having a great time watching these. Um, speaking of episodes that work really well in a group setting, charades, Spock's in-laws come to visit, and the space anomaly has made him human, and he has to pretend to be Vulcan using uh, makeup from the 1960s to <laughs> pretend to fool his fiance and her parents um, and do a Vulcan ritual. Meanwhile, Chapel is still very much in love with him as she helps him out, uh, woo his fiance. And at the end of it, uh, because of this experience, he breaks off the engagement and he and Chapel hook up. And oh, also Amanda Grayson, his mom is there and also offering a lot of wise advice. And that's fun. So this is basically like a Frasier-esque farce in a farce <laughs> Star Trek episode. And I was, I loved it. I love this one so much i think it is my favorite episode of the season it i was just laughing the entire time i just thought it was such a fun setup and ethan peck just absolutely stole the entire season acting wise with this one i can't argue with that um i <laughs> i have trouble like i know it's super it's a, like a super classic 
Star Trek thing. It's actually, you know, the invention of a lot of fanfic tropes, you know, from the original mm-hmm. series were kind of putting Spock in these incredibly um, <laughs> awkward <laughs> situations, right? Um, and they even did it last season with the, the whole body swap, right? Which again, super mm-hmm. classic. Um, but I have like such a low tolerance for kind of cringe comedy. Like uh... I'm the person that runs away. And so in some ways I was like, wow, this is so good. And I hate it <laughs> because of that. Yeah, I usually do too. But for something about, I don't know. I think I was just having such a good time. I can't, yeah, I don't know why this cringe comedy works for me when most of the time it doesn't. But it might just be of how level-headed uh, Ethan Peck was in the performance. And also, I really hate cringe comedy when it's like there's, actual stakes and danger reputationally mm-hmm. and i guess there's some of that here but i don't know, I, I i had a sixth sense that it was going to work out right in the end so i guess that sort of kept me engaged with it oh yeah i mean as i said it was really really good i have i don't actually like i'm not going to give it a low rating i don't hate it in that sense mm-hmm. but i literally had to fast forward through a few parts oh yeah <laughs> Partially because the acting is so good. I was just like, no, 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 I can't watch. <laughs> this is great because in the old days, I would have just had to cover my eyes. But now I have the fast forward button. I, oh God, I'm going to sound like such an old misery guts here. Um, I didn't dislike it, but I, I think I think Strange New Worlds has a, a problem with Spock. And the problem is, is that Ethan Peck is a really, really good comic actor. So they keep giving him funny things to do, but Spock is kind of the wrong character to do that with. And that's a problem. When, again, it, I think it's shown into, uh, sort of thrown into really sharp focus, having just, you know, finished the, the first season of, of the original series and now sort of plowing on into season two. The moments when Leonard Nimoy gets to be funny are few and far between, and they're more effective for that it's the same like the odd moments where he gets like drop his emotional guard like at the end of a mock time or whatever it's effective because we've had you know 25 episodes or whatever for him not doing that and then it carries an impact and i understand especially in a you know a a contracted series a season rather of um 10 episodes i understand the urge to go to the well because ethan peck is so clearly good at doing this stuff um that you want to be able to see more of him doing it but it's too much it's overwhelming the character so we're spending more time with spock being out of character doing funny stuff which is entertaining than we are with him being in character as this kind of sort of button down um vulcan and it's kind of upending the character for me mm-hmm. and i don't mean that like the writing in this episode is great performances in this episode are great the whole thing is fine in isolation but the problem is is it doesn't exist in isolation and this is i think more than again more than any other episode in this season of strange new worlds this is the one that shows how a season of television can struggle when there isn't enough room for it to spread its wings because if this was a season that was 15 or 20 or even back at the old sort of 25 26 uh, 20th century Star Trek's uh, episode in length, it would be okay because you would have 25 episodes or 24 episodes around him 
where we had just conventional Spock. And then we get the funny episode where suddenly he's human and has to pretend that he's normal in front of his in-laws. And it's all great. I, I sound like such a such a grumpy old man. I'm so sorry. But but we've only got 10 episodes. We don't have the time. And it's it's the same, you know, it's the same with a lot with Lan. It really suffers badly from this as well, uh, that there just isn't time to cover everybody. And you've got seven major characters, 10 episodes. Like, if not everybody's going to get a shake of the stick. And, and this episode suffers from the fact that it pushes Spock so far out of character. We'll get it again when we get to Subspace Rhapsody, um, you know, and it, it just keeps happening. And it's really... It's just upending the character, and I understand why, but it's it it's making it hard for me to like what they're doing because of it. You've inspired kind of a thought. I, I just kind of had two random thoughts from from what you were saying, and one is because we keep mentioning the short season thing, and also keep mentioning like you know we want to see Strange New Worlds kind of break out, and it's almost like there's an opportunity for them to figure out you know, not to just go back to the well and be like, okay, we're going to hit these classics, but like, what does that look like? You know, what does a short episodic version of this look like? How do you do, you know, kind of the characters, how do you, you know, like, because it's shorter, it, it by definition ends up being more serialized because you don't have as many like one-offs, everything has to count. Um, you know, and I kind of like, like to your point, right. It, I, I a hundred percent see what you're talking about, especially with Spock, right? Like, it's almost, uh, this was my other thought is, you know, I don't know how deep you guys have, have plumbed the wells of fandom, but you know, there was this whole like concept of the infic, right? Like mm -hmm. the thing that's like a bit silly and it's just like hitting all of the fan buttons. You're just like, I don't care. I'm just going to do it because that's, that's what I'm here for. Right. And it's, you know, it's like the, it's like your dessert. Right. And, and in a long series, you know, you get little hits and you get your, you know, your little teas and your little sweet right then and you're like ooh, and it's but it's like balanced because it's not all the time you know and then in fanfic you might be able just to like gorge yourself on those things and you can just do it but that is always you know supplementary right like it's always kind of on the outside and so then when we have a show that's kind of by you know the fact that it has such limited thing is like oh we want to hit all the classics it, it starts looking a bit more like kind of that infic thing where they're just hitting it over and over again and it makes me really curious because I really liked the first season and I'm trying to kind of quickly, you know, compare the two in my mind. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder what it would look like for them to develop kind of a new, a new balance or a new format or, or, or like what does Star Trek stories look like, you know, in this context. And I don't mm -hmm. think they've answered that yet. Yeah. The metaphor of the season being almost all dessert is actually makes a lot of sense. That does really track it isn't a very substantial season television and as much as i'm the one who's more up on it yeah that is kind of a flaw with the season when it tries to get more dramatic it really falls on its face um uh, we'll get into that later but yeah the first episode especially as evidence of that it's yeah and so i can definitely understand why that's like off-putting if it's just like because Star Trek is in a place right now where there's a lot of it, but none of it is quite right to compared to what it used to be. This is maybe the closest, but yeah, like it's all dessert. It's none of the steak, or at least the good steak of your TOSs or as I understand it, your TNGs or DS9s. 
And when the only other like really quality show is Lower Decks, which is even more dessert. And then you have your steak shows are Discovery and Picard, which frequently flounder. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see how this is. Yeah, I can get it. It's funny because as I said, episode is great, but then you like start looking at the whole structure and you're like, what's going on here, guys? At the very least, I want to call out uh, Mia Kirshner as Amanda Grayson because I think she does great work oh, yeah. in this episode. I really love her performance. It's very, it does something so naturalistic and affectionate and kind and yet smart about the way that she plays the role. I absolutely love her performance here. Yeah, uh, she was amazing. Um, Gia Sandu, I think is how you pronounce it, as Tapring. I think, like, she also plays a really good uh, car- heel. <laughs> I just want to boo every time she's on screen, even though nothing she does on paper is super wrong. She's just a little passive-aggressive and annoying, and that just kind of makes the whole love triangle work the way the writers want it to, and she plays into that perfectly. She knows exactly how to, like get the sort of heel reactions out of me and the people I'm watching with. And then her mom coming in as the even worse Vulcan. Um, I'm going to look up who the actor was because I want to give her her flowers as well. But that was also just a wonderful comedic performance this episode, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. What do we want to score this one then? How do we want to, how do we want to go about what's, what's proven to be a surprisingly divisive episode? I'll give it an eight. It's good. I mean, all of my complaints are really more, you know, about the show rather than about the episode. Mm-hmm. Kev. Uh, Elora Patnik was the name of T'Pril. And uh, I also want to, just quickly, because I didn't mention it, uh, the way Chapel fixes Spock and makes him Vulcan, half Vulcan rather, again, is by, she has to tell his interdimensional beings she has a crush on him, which I just think is hilarious that she'd be put into that extremely fanficy, as mentioned, position. Uh, I was losing this entire episode i think it's a 10 <laughs> truly <Wow>. i had <laughs> a high opinion of this one uh okay good uh six okay <laughs> i do Sorry, also want to more divided we might be more divided on this in the musical episode or maybe as divided yeah, yeah. i do want to say and it's not just this episode but um <laughs> how game pike is to get in on shenanigans yes I really like <laughs> like it's just like okay sure and then he's just there and supportive it's really mm. kind of um a different captain like it gives this captain uh since uh captaincy a, a interesting uh twist and it seems very possible in some ways in star trek but also like i don't think a lot of other captains have been quite as like yeah sure you know about that stuff which i i think mm. they hit that quite i mean again they hit that quite a lot in this show but i do always sort of enjoy it maybe it's just because um you know as an actor he's really good at doing it like you know they're, mm. they're like we have a guy he's handsome and has oodles of charisma and is funny let's just keep putting him in these situations but um yeah yeah um i the titular scene where he's trying to explain charades as if it's a ritual is really really funny so good so good all right lost in translation uh uhura starts hallucinating the ghost of hammer uh while they are trying while the ship is trying to repair this like mineral refinery uh she works with pelia a lot trying to figure out what's happening uh well pelia also realizes that the refinery is being sabotaged and there's other people sort of going insane around them uh 
they discover that the hallucinations are the result of aliens who they cannot see, who communicate through hallucinations, and they aliens convince the Enterprise to destroy the refinery because it is killing them and as they mine the minerals. Uh, also, Kirk is there and gets meets her and gets introduced to Spock, but that is kind of the that's the bad side of the fan. We'll get into that, but yeah, that's something I guess that worth mentioning. Fair enough. Uh, Kev, how did you find this one? Um, well, I was getting it. Let me get into it then. Uh, the Kirk stuff, yeah, that's that's the more annoying stuff than tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Uh, because it's cute to see the meat cutes, but not much is done with them, and the relationships aren't really explored. Like, he's nice to her. They have a fun rapport. But Spock is literally just him shaking his hand, and then they're just kind of friends the next time they show up. And that's, I don't know. I mean, you don't want these to be grand and mythic moments, I guess, for the show to stay on its own legs. But it's annoying. Uh, yeah, I guess let's talk about that before we get into the episode proper. Yeah. Um, oh, dear. Um, I don't care about this episode, even slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is such a piece of fluff. I I wish I cared about it because I do love uh, I do love Uhura, uh, but there's just so little to get that much traction on. You're right, the meat cutes don't amount to anything at all. Uh, the hallucinating hammer just makes me think that it was a mistake to write him out in the first place. Much though I love Pelia, um, and for the rest of it, oh, oh, come on, let's block the space station because we've got some money to burn this season. I don't know. I did, this was such a nothing episode to me. I I kind of agree and it's funny because you know we were just saying how much you know we want more one-offs and everything like that and it's true but also how great would it have been if they had Hammer and Pelia right like I don't know how that would have worked but that would have been great like I would love to see that um you know but yeah it just sometimes I think it's it, it's because they're like okay we're doing a one-off but it has to be like super deep about this stuff and and you know like it's an Uhura episode and you know it just it hasn't built up to it and so it doesn't you know it feels like the denouement of something that you just didn't you know or to an extent I kind of started thinking about it um as I was trying to understand you know why my reactions were what they were is you know like I haven't watched a bunch of it but you know the MCU was doing kind of things similar where it was like we're just going to give you the bullet points and let you kind of sketch in the middle grounds that makes these payoffs worth it. Like they, they kind of are like, you know who these people are and we've given you the, you know, the backstory and we've given you a couple of deep things that you should go and write fanfic about. And then you will feel invested in this so that we can do like a payoff with having, without doing the buildup in some ways. Um, I, maybe I'm not being fair there, but it's kind of, that's kind of how I felt sometimes is that they were relying a lot on kind of the audience to do some heavy lifting in finding these moments to be meaningful. Yeah. The MCU thing is a good point where like every movie had to feel like an event, which means, like I said, it's missing the middle ground. And that's his kind of kids episode where every episode has to be someone's big episode that resolves all of their character stuff and gives them the spotlight as a hers big episode resolves, I don't know, talking about feelings stuff, which feels very just not to say a team you can never engage with how a character is feeling, but I don't know. Like just therapy scenes feel like you could do this as part of the action, not just sitting down and talking about the feelings. That's how I've always felt. Uh, I did 
I like conceptually the aliens that communicate through hallucinations a lot. Uh, I think Celia Rose Gooding gives a really good performance as Uhura. Um, yeah, I don't know. I did mark this as seven, but I'm trying to remember why it was that high. <laughs> it was kind of a nothing <laughs> episode. It's interesting because I've I've had this thought a couple about a couple of episodes where I'm like the story elements are really interesting, and I think if I can kind of imagine approaching them in a different way, and sometimes even in a more kind of like 20th century Star Trek way that I think would have been more effective for me. I had this thought a lot about um, when we haven't gotten to the cloak of war thing where I'm like, oh, you know, they made the hallucinations. They leaned into them being very scary and like the guy blowing up the ship and all of that stuff. And I kind of thought, you know, I feel like Voyager, how would Voyager have done this? I think Voyager would have gone weirder with them. Like it would have been it wouldn't have been an instant threat necessarily, or it would have been there, but it would have been building. I mean, it, it surely did, right? I can, and so did other Star Trek. I can vaguely remember at least like two episodes that have kind of played with the same idea in in some way. Um, and I think building it up is like this threat and like losing the mind and then, oh, but if it's communication, like I can, if I, if I tried that out, it's like, that seems like fine, but I just wonder if, some of the emotional stakes of the plot would have felt more effective if they approached it slightly differently. I don't know. I don't remember the episode well enough. I think it's kind of blurred together to really, to do a a good analysis of that. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, To pick up on your Voyager thing, uh, the, the fight, it was a great episode uh, that that does something very similar, which is the one with chaotic space and Chakotay as a boxer. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. not a terribly well-regarded episode, but it's genuinely very good. And it really, really deserves to be reappraised. Um, And I won't linger on it too much, but the whole reason that episode succeeds is that it's extremely abstract and that works really well for these kind of concepts concepts about aliens who find ways to communicate, which aren't just straightforwardly linguistic. It's a really underappreciated episode of Voyager. Um, and honestly, it does it better than than this one. Okay, fair enough. That's uh, you know that's using Star Trek's own history against it. But but the point is, Star Trek can do it better than it does it here. Here it's a, a bit rote. Um, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, like you said, Kev, you know, every episode has to be here's the Uhura episode. And when you get that episode and it's not that great, then the character feels like it's it's been wasted. Um, the last episode we did of uh, the original series was Who Mourns for Adonis. Um, and one of the lovely things about that episode is the way that Uhura is portrayed in it. She doesn't have much screen time. She's only in it for like two or three minutes, but she is competent. She gets on with her job. She earns Spock's respect and she she is just amazing. And of course, Nichelle Nichols is incredible. Um, and it's it's that thing about being able to give characters uh, who can, you can do a little, so you can do a lot with a little. She doesn't have much screen time, but what she does have, every single second counts. This episode is the exact opposite of this. There's absolutely screens of screen time, but a lot of it is kind of like, yeah, okay, right. So we're doing the crossover episode next, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to admit that was part of me as I was like, because I, I was away 
I was traveling for a bit. So I came back and there were a bunch of episodes to watch. Um, and uh, yeah, I was like, okay, let's just get through this so we can get to the next one. <laughs> in, in which case, I'm going to give this a generous five. I think I'm going to, if I can't remember, if I remember this little about it, I think I have to mark mine down to a six. Even though I had it, even though I was logging at the time as a seven. Just, yeah, there's nothing. I think I'd put it as a five because now that I'm thinking about it, of all these episodes, if if you're like you have to rewatch one, it would definitely be on the bottom of the list. Speaking of the crossover episode, those old scientists yes. from Lower Decks, Beckett, Mariner, and Boimler are investigating a weird time portal, and Boimler gets sucked through and winds up back in his past, the era of Strange New Worlds. Uh, he tries to and mostly fails to stop them from getting future knowledge as they realize they need to get him back to his time. They activate the portal again, and this time Mariner comes through, and they realize that by being in the past, they're messing things up, and also Orion scientists uh, steal the portal. And so uh, Mariner and Boimler try to do a sacrifice thing where it's like, we aren't as good as these older people. We need to uh, sacrifice ourselves, uh, live our lives and as hermits, uh, but just still get the portal back because that's important. And instead, I can't exactly remember how that's resolved, but they, um, Pike instead uh, bolsters their confidence again. They find a way to make peace with the Orions and they get back to their own time. Lovely. I, of course, adore this episode. Of course I do. It's mm-hmm. great. Everything about it is great. I'm not really sure I've got a lot more to say about it than that, though. It's really, it's really wonderful. Um, I, I just find it incredibly charming and confident. And it's kind of interesting that it feels much more like an episode of, to me anyway, it feels much more like an episode of Lower Decks that, uh strange new worlds has collided with rather than an episode of strange new worlds that uh lower decks has collided with all the energy all the kind of wackiness all the craziness feels much more of a piece of uh lower decks especially given what the next episode is going to attempt to do and it's just so much fun like i again i didn't i was pretty much entirely unspoiled uh, before I actually sat down and watched this. I didn't realize like the first section of this was going to be animated. I didn't realize the last couple of minutes of it were going to be animated, but I love that. That's such a big swing and it's just not the sort of thing that Star Trek does. It's very ambitious for a show like this. And that's great. There's just so much which is is wonderful. Even the fact that they're trading grain supplies, just like they do in Trouble with Tribbles, you know, that's such a, that's, it feels so inconsequential to, you know, to, to this kind of society. And yet it obviously isn't. Uh, the Orions are a fun presence. Um, I just, I don't know, everything about this is just kind of great. And like gushing praise is not a particularly uh, appealing thing when it comes to trying to review and after, oh, I, but that's all I've got. It's just great. I loved it. Yes, I also loved this episode. Um, I, I, again, I don't have much to say except I would just say everything that's funny in it. And maybe we have to limit that a bit because we're already in, over an hour in and we have three episodes left to go. <laughs> but yeah, uh, just the way Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsome fully embodied those characters in live action, the way they move like they are cartoons, the way they speak faster as if they're in an animated show, and then comment on the fact that they speak faster than the other characters. Just all those little like ways they line up are so smart. 
uh, all of like all of the way Boimler like can't hide the fact that he's from the future and keeps accidentally revealing stuff by the way he reacts to things is so funny and it works so well. It's such a great little wrinkle to the spot chapel thing. I think to have him come in and be the living embodiment of dramatic irony. Uh, that is so great. Uh, the Orions, like I said, are a fun presence. Yeah. Everything about this just so works. And then they bring back the, uh, at Astra Peraspera in such like a very moving way. I love that little moment for Una and how she is like an inspirational poster. And of course the gag that he has the poster of her and she thinks it's something completely different is really funny as well. So yeah, just, it's a episode almost entirely of little grace notes, but those grace notes are so good. Like not much substance to the story, but all just fun fluff. This episode kind of killed the show for me in a way, because mm. I was like, so like oh my god this is so great it's so great i was like okay i don't really need to watch more um <laughs> i just had so much good time i had such a good time with it um and yeah everything you said and and like honestly the acting in it and like i, I was like how much they embodied their characters and like i was like did they do this in like the recording booth like just like the small little movements that i thought were going to be impossible to convert into live action you know, and embodying those. And I, um, you know, it it is 100%, like, if you look at the plot, it is 100% a Lower Decks plot, like, down to the resolution of <laughs> the Orions who have stolen the thing, being like, you know, Pike being like, trusting the future knowledge and be like, what if we said it was discovered by scientists and the guy being like, I've only ever wanted to be thought of that way or something is such a Lower Decks attitude and and it embodies so much the way that it is both you know you have to love something to parody it because it's both like holding it up as a bit silly but also being like no this is what star trek is star trek is believing in the better side of people and you know the the joys of exploration and and all of that stuff which i think sometimes modern trek is sort of lost sight of or is afraid of you know being too hokey that way and and i think one of the reasons i really love lower decks especially when it does let's say more Star Trek-y plots instead of just the comedy stuff, like the way it works is because it, it believes in it, you know, it's not afraid to do the big, you know, dramatic thing of, you know, and it does have all the silliness. And I partially, I think I like this episode so much because I always kind of wondered what Lower Decks would look like if it was just a little less of the kind of like family guy or like Rick and Morty, like, da -da 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 -da, you know, like pace of needing like a thousand jokes a minute um you know and it, it was kind of nice to see that um and yeah it, and also like the thing I really like about Lower Decks too which is funny in this context is it is a show that is like absolutely chock full with references right it's 100% made for the fans of you know the, the fans fan but it handles it so well and that you can even see it in this right which I sometimes get a little tired of Strange New Worlds, you know, kind of canon fascination and need to be like, wow, this is important. But like, it really changes it when it's just <laughs> a couple of nerds who are doing it, right? Like, there's almost like a, yeah, we're we're getting excited about this and we're going to make it really deep. But also, you know, these are just a couple of like ensigns who are, you know, especially Mariner, as much as she tries to play cool, is just as bought in, you know, and so that kind of gives it a little bit more of a past to be kind of doing that you know and and stuff like essentially boiler's reaction um you know kind of with the poster and everything where he just like runs away 
um I don't know it's just like it's so good and it it um yeah I thought maybe it was a little much but it I I liked it I liked that element a lot and it did really I do really wish that Lower Decks has had the freedom to do more interesting things because it's not trying to be serious it's you know it's got the freedom of being silly um but sometimes I think that's you kind of need you kind of need that freedom that they've done. And I wish, you know, and having seen it in Strange New Worlds, I wish they could embrace more of that. Um, so yeah, I, I know I've just said, again, all the stuff and, and um, but yeah, like the, the acting in it, I just, I never, there were things like, especially Boimler, I thought he was way too, the way he's animated was way too cartoonish to ever like work as live action. <laughs> it does though, how is that even possible? Why are they so good? Yeah, I can I stop gushing now. <laughs> <laughs> Gush away. Um, I think one of the points that you make there is a very interesting one, which is the idea of, you know, like Star Trek just being optimistic and getting on with the business of being Star Trek. And it's kind of, I think it's a slight, I'm, I'm sure I'll take pelters for this, but um, I think it's a slight legacy of DS9. And, and like I was saying with um, The Wrath of Khan, you, you know, the franchise sometimes learns a little the wrong lessons from it um people love ds9 and rightly so because it's this kind of dark kind of mirror uh, that's being held up to star trek but the problem is is that dark mirrors only work if you manage to be kind of like optimistic the rest of the time the reason that ds9 works so well is because uh toss uh next gen uh voyager and to at least a limited extent enterprise managed to maintain the kind of the more optimistic, bright, positive future. And that's why people love Star Trek. But when Star Trek starts to get weighed down with kind of like too much darkness or too much, uh, you know, introverted, introversing, and, and it, it, it kind of, it kills what makes Star Trek Star Trek. And I think that's a lot of why early seasons of Discovery struggled so much. They were so ponderous and self-important and pompous. And it's why um lord x is such a breath of fresh air because it's just star trek that gets on with the business of being star trek and it's not ashamed or embarrassed to be optimistic or cheerful or upbeat and and that's kind of what people love and i think that's why the first season of strange new worlds was such a success as well because it it bought into the same energy it wasn't ashamed to be this kind of heart in its sleeve optimism and and that's again what makes this episode so great is is that it, it kind of channels so much of that without this kind of need to kind of be sort of sort of dreary kind of full serious and oh gosh isn't everything blah 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 that's that's not very Star Trek and 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 it's fine you can do a DS nine every so often or you can do an episode which is like that every so often but if that becomes you, your dominant mode it doesn't work and that's why i said sometimes enterprise because enterprise eventually does kind of fall into that trap of trying to be kind of full serious and dramatic in the same way that ds9 was and it doesn't work um but it's just lovely to see an episode like this which is so unashamedly positive and so just happy to enjoy being star trek that's it exactly yeah. <laughs> i mean Suppose seriousness is our perfect segue to our next episode, but I think we should all shout some numbers really quick. Uh, nine. Ten. Nine and a half. Oh, I got to be the low grade this time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, under the cloak of war then. 
Yeah, faux seriousness. Um, a Klingon ambassador arrives in the Enterprise, <laughs> and uh, that makes Mabenga flash back to the time he and Chapel were stuck in a Mass Effect level. And <laughs> I'm not wrong. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> then, uh, after a lot of traumatic war memories, it comes up that Mabenga was the one who killed a bunch of Klingons that they thought the ambassador Doc Ra did. That's what claimed the fame. He claimed killed a bunch of Klingons. So they thought they were being unethical, but instead, Mabenga killed them. Uh, this leads to a confrontation between the two, and Mabenga kills Doc Ra, and it's ambiguous whether he meant to or not. And Pike ponders that a little bit as the episode ends. Okay, so on to Subspace Rhapsody. Um, yeah! yeah. <laughs> this it's... is such a crap episode of television. It's so bad. Who cares about any of this nonsense? It's like late season MASH where Alan Alda had taken over. Uh, and you know, everything is comedy, tragedy, comedy, tragedy, or like the thing from Futurama with the switch in the yes. back of the robot, you know. Uh, that's all this episode is. I just don't give a single figure about it. Who cares? It didn't make a lot of sense. Like, like, uh, this was one where I think, you know, I was, I was like, okay, what if you approach the same idea with a different structure? You know, what if you didn't have the flashbacks? What if they changed how it? worked a little bit because like you know they they have uh what's his name the the ambassador like they never you're never really sold as the audience on him as a war hero because you're instantly like you know approached with all these people that are like about him and he seems really sleazy and he's you know it's really well acted but like you know i can imagine a, a version of this story that works where you have to be like wow actually this guy has been doing a lot of good and he does seem to be genuinely you know, believe it and, and does it matter, you know, like, or what does, you know, like, or, but also they were like, ah, oh, but he's a war criminal and that brings in another level of things, you know? Um, but also, can I just say like, I, I was even watching this episode and I was like, so his, he's a Klingon ambassador who's like helped make peace with the Klingons by being a defector who slaughtered a bunch of his own men. I'm like, damn, he must have some serious skills in persuasion um, <laughs> just to have that be like a winning like way to win to like be a diplomat. Like what? Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, we don't have to talk about this. It, it isn't good, but I just, I, I kept thinking about that through this episode where I was just like, and how, how does that work? Um, I think it's easier to list like the couple few things that work about this episode as you mentioned robert wisdom's performance who just he just finished a great run on barry as well so he's now an actor very much on my radar um yeah he's really good as dakra conceptually i like both the twist that he didn't do what he said he did and mabenga who actually did do it does not want the glory from it at all because he hates that he did it and then the ambiguous ending is conceptually an interesting and bold move where you don't know how moral this character of the show is. Good lord. As soon as that Mabenga was talking to that kid in the flashback, I'm like, oh, I'm going to live forever and be a great soldier. He's like, sure you will, kid. I'm going to say, oh, good lord. This kid is dead. I can't do this. This is awful. It, they it put on hard to invest in. Yeah. They put on the Discovery uniforms and became an episode of Discovery. And... <laughs> Even worse than episode Discovery, honestly. Discover that's that's an insult to Discovery, kind of. But yeah, yeah. is it though? There was a lot of direct talking about feelings uh, that just took up ten minutes of screen time. So fair. Uh, I yeah. don't think we lovely. Okay, yep, yeah, we were on the same page there again as well. Uh, four, Jesus. 
Four. Four. All Lovely. Right. Next. Subspace Rhapsody. It's a musical episode of a television series. I'm giving it a 10. I love musicals. I think having the characters sing what they think is such a better way than having them talk about what they think. And I think this has the characters lay all these cards on the table, what they think, what they feel, in a way that is very entertaining. Um, I do have nitpicks in it. We'll get into those nitpicks. But the joyous ending where in order to save the galaxy, everyone has to stand up and do a big musical number. I just, any shows wanting to get a big swing at that deserves my respect. I, I can mm. see that. Silence. I, I, I think if I start with a score, I'd probably come at like five on this. Yep. I... Um, and I, I actually quite like musical episodes. Um, there've been a lot of them actually. And uh, I just, mm. Also, the runtime on this was so long. It was so long. And I didn't like the music too much, which, you know, is is part of it. And so mm. I just, I didn't feel invested in it. And then the amount of, like, people, you know, kind of just, <laughs> like, the episode of Futurama with the with the opera, right? Like, yeah. your music is bad and you should feel bad. Where the people just, like, state, state their feelings. And, and I just, I was like, okay, I can see where you're going with this, but it doesn't feel earned. And mm. so it left me kind of cold and and also again there have been so many good musical episodes um i was thinking of two specifically i really liked fringe's take on musical episode um yes 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 oh i love you so much i couldn't agree more yeah sorry like, to carry on <laughs> love fringe so much big it's fan such a high bar right but then also um lucifer did a really good one and it, it also had the singing, all singing and dance. Like Lucifer's episode is almost too close to this one in, in like kind of what's happening, right? Like it's obviously mm. different. It's a very different show, but it's specifically like, oh, a thing has happened. And now every time people are having feelings, like people are breaking out into song and dance routines um, with some, you know, good, good songs. And also, you know, a lot of great singing talent on that show. Um, and so having those kind of in mind i guess i guess i've just gotten really choosy about musical episodes yeah i i'm I, if i have to score this one i'm gonna have to give it two scores because as i mean kev you and i've been podcasting together now for half a decade uh and you're well well aware of my absolute contempt and hatred for music musicals um i i really dislike musicals um that's the most understated of understatements i've ever made in my life um so i, I like if i have to grade this as an episode of star trek strange new worlds i'd probably give it like three if i have to grade it on what it tries to do and what it succeeds in doing i'd probably give it like an eight like it does its best for for what it is um i think if it suffers from anything it's probably that it, it could have gone a bit further. Um, like a lot of the musical numbers are are like uh, really well done and well put together for what they are. Uh, like Uhura's big thing at the end about communication is really great. Um, uh, Lan's mm. whole thing about oh I have to change the paradigm, all that stuff. Uh, it's all really well done. It's all but but they're kind of a bit semi after a while the songs. And so I think it would have been sort of more interesting if they had tried to shake it up a bit so rather than just having these slightly stereotypical kind of songs in uh in, in kind of musical vein if they'd had 
like a rock song had been one of there, or if they'd had like a tender little acoustic ballad rather than everything just being like big power ballad, here come the cards <laughs> and the wailing vocals at the top of everybody's range. Like it is really well done, but it's also a lot. Um, and even as it, with the most objective of objective hats I own, um, it, it, it felt like it had kind of done its thing yeah like you mentioned the runtime uh and and i think i think that's fair we 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 probably could have we could probably could have lost one of the songs along the way and and it might have been a bit better for it so yeah so i'm i'm split down the middle as an episode of television i really disliked it as 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 the thing it tried to do yeah it it, it does it probably about as well as you could hope for yeah um i did give us a 10 when i just marked it right after finishing the episode I do think I have to talk myself down to a nine. You both made really good points. But also, here are the two things that really bug me about this episode, which really bugs me about the show as a general um, arcs for these characters. Uh, Spock and Chapel are now suddenly broken up, and we never saw that, and that really bugs me. And the Lon-Kirk resolution, it's a great story, I think, that Lon does not want, like, avoids him and is really stressed about the problem because she doesn't want to confess her feelings to Kirk. And I found that very relatable and understandable and emotional, but it's just kind of a flat scene where he's like, yeah, I am currently in a relationship with other Canon character creating a Canon baby. And that is, I think where it really rears the head of what discussion of like being trapped in Canon and sort of working around that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It can't really go all the way. Like, I don't know. I almost would have rather Kirk and Lon did hook up and then he, but he had already fathered a kid and they weren't together at that point in time. And that would have been the bolder move would have made him more scummy, but it wouldn't be cheating, but it still would have been, you know, weird, but that would be a interesting move. And they kind of fizzled on that. So yeah, those are my two big problems with the episode. Like both again, casualty of the short length. We needed a spot travel breakup episode they pined up to the 10 episodes and they were hooked up for like four and then now they're broken up again. And that's really annoying. Um, but yeah, the whole episode was waiting for Klingons to sing and then the Klingons sung and I was very happy. So I'm still sticking with a fairly high grade of nine. I, I gave it the score I did solely on the strength of having the boy band Klingons. I love that. I love that a lot. <laughs> Even, even even I laughed my ass off at the auto tune Klingons. That was phenomenal. That was that was. See, that's what I meant about them taking like a bigger swing. Like that was so good. If we'd had a bit more of that, I think mm-hmm. it would have served the episode really well. But the fact that they did that at all is just phenomenal. That was a great move. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I definitely I I agree very much on especially on like the the Lan and Kirk thing, right? Like there, it doesn't even have like. Kirk has a long history, right? And and mm. you don't need to, you know, like there could have been time for him to have a relationship and then for it to end. You know, like that, it doesn't need to be forever, right? Like that, that's fine. Right. Or it, it could have just not been Kirk and you could have, you know, whatever, the same thing, you know, would be effective. And also, again, the fucking chapel thing, you're like, what, what's even going on here? Like I um, have never gotten invested in it um Mm. too much even though i think i would have like on paper in some ways but just a a bunch of it like i don't know just the pieces for me aren't quite there i've gotten too invested in it and but yeah which makes the decision of these last two episodes of how they treat it very baffling um but maybe we'll get into that in uh hegemony ready for the season finale (laughs) yes let's do it 
Yes. Right. Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds remakes Aliens and then has a best of both worlds cliffhanger. That's all. Mm, yeah, yeah they... that's 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 very generous. Yeah, I, I mean, they, they try to emulate that and then they fail. I mean, I haven't seen it, obviously, but they, they definitely do a big cliffhanger and um, it's more frustrating. We'll get into that in more detail. But yeah, the Gorn attack a planet. They wipe out everyone. There's just a few survivors left and they go down and rescue them. They meet Scotty. That's probably something I should mention. Uh, I like rescue, him. Yeah, rescue um, Pike's girlfriend, but she has Gorn eggs inside her. So yeah, uh, I guess I'll start the discussion this time with uh, this character played by uh, Melanie Scrofano of Winona Earp, uh, Battle. I can't even remember the name because she doesn't leave much of an impact at all. The whole season, it really doubles down on this relationship between her and Pike. And it's another, and this is like the least believable romance of the show because why are they together? She prosecuted his best friend. <laughs> she put her on trial. Why do they still have affection for each other after that? And then that classic meat cute. Yeah. And then also they just keep fighting the whole season for over the silliest things. And they just don't want to go on a vacation together. I, it was so confusing. And the whole time I was kind of hoping she would be killed off this episode, even though it would definitely be a textbook fridge. One of the uh, most worst tropes you can ever invoke, but I, what else is there for her to do? I don't know. It's such an annoying and frustrating relationship. I think you kind of nailed it, uh, Kev, when you said it's just trying to do aliens. And, you know, I've kind of seen aliens. And that yeah. just, I, none of this, I don't care about any of it. I'm really sorry. This was such a weak season finale. It's nice that Scotty is finally played by somebody, you know, Scottish. Uh, that's nice. That, that breaks, a, that breaks a, a, a run of 60 years. Um, but for the rest of it, I just don't care. The Garner are rubbish i'm sorry i preferred the gorn when it was some guy in a really unconvincing lizard suit this mm. attempt to pretend that they're xenomorphs is just not working for me at all and everything else about this episode is pretty much just uh just slaved over to that and yeah the idea that yeah the, the big cliffhanger is like well orders captain come on tell us what to do <laughs> oh gosh i wonder how that will resolve next season when he tells them what to do it's so it's so dramatic and I, yeah i don't care i i want to i really want to but there's so much about this that it's just so kind of derivative i'm not interested in sam kirk i don't care I, i'm sorry i just again i'm just repeating a list of things that, that don't interest me now but it, it's just so frustrating because season one's finale was so well put together like a quality of mercy had such a good take on balance of terror even although like i've said like i'd prefer star trek if it just got on with the business of being star trek rather than being sort of chained to canon at least on that particular occasion when they tried to play with canon they did it in an interesting way this is just nothing this is such a weak finale and i just i don't know it's just very unengaging really I have, I actually quite enjoyed it in just a kind of brain dead sort of way. I mean, everything, mm -hmm. I can't disagree with anything either of you have said. Um, and a lot of things are, you know, sold on, again, they, they, they're very lucky with their cast, right? Like um, everything you said about, you know, uh, Pike's relationship is true. And you're like, what did I keep forgetting who she is? And then she shows up, but like, you know, when he's 
you know, kind of emoting, you know, and is like, is like, you know, sees the thing on her arm or whatever. I was like, oh, wow, I feel for you, Pike, you know, like this is scary or, or you know, which is good, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I think I've done a thing where, you know, especially with the Gorn and especially last season and with like the tie in with land and stuff like that. Um, where I've just like pretended it's not the Gorn from Star Trek. Like it's, you know, the Gorn with two ends at the end and an E. Um, <laughs> because I've thought they've been, they've done um, some kind of, yes, it's, it's cliche, right. To do, to do, you know, kind of that type of monster, but they've done, you know, they've done some good episodes using that, that were, you know, legitimately kind of scary and kind of fun. Um, you know, and this like, definitely was nothing groundbreaking but you know um I enjoyed you know the rescue mission and I really enjoyed Scotty and you know going to the thing and then the reveal that she's got the eggs in her arm and that's why they didn't I mean like that's I mean they made a reference to zombie movies in this episode and uh I was like when that happened I'm like gosh she's been bitten um you know, and I was like, yeah, okay, I can go with this. Yeah, I just, but a lot of my tolerance for it is the fact that I just like, I'm like, I cannot square this with what they, I, because they're so wedded to canon, I cannot square this with where I know this is meant to be going. Like, they're too scary. They've eaten too many people. <laughs> like, and more than eaten them, they've done like really, you know, like Lon's whole backstory is just like, wow you know um i yeah I've, so there's there's a mismatch there and um i also was trying to find this reminds me because I, I mentioned it about the space rhapsody but also this one also had a really long runtime and i can't find a quick way of looking at the runtime of all the episodes um but like the the musical one was like well over an hour um and uh because i was watching it late and i was tired and i was like is this over yet it was not um <laughs> and uh hegemony was also like an hour not quite as long um which i'm generally in favor of shows doing longer run times but i kind of also thinking you know after our discussion of lower decks i kind of wonder somewhat if um if like you swapped it a bit like if uh if lower decks got 40 minutes and you know uh Strange New Worlds was forced to do 40 minutes, you know, like if, if Strange New Worlds was forced to be shorter and Lower Decks was able to be longer, I kind of wonder, you know, if that wouldn't be fun, you know, like it, like if, if Strange New Worlds had to be tighter and therefore couldn't do as much ponderousness, you know, if, if they wouldn't benefit from that in some ways. I I fully believe that, yeah. the Sometimes I didn't mind the long episode length, but like this is one where I really felt it and just the tightness could have really gone a long way. Uh, they should be stuck to 45 minutes as if they're airing on broadcast television, absolutely. <laughs> as is right and proper. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, I wish I had something else to say about this one, but I don't, so I'm just going to give a, I don't know, six? Uh, it feels generous. Five and a half. Uh I'm going with a six, which is basically a five and a half rounded up. So we're in pretty similar blues <laughs> here. Um, yeah, I guess the only thing to say, uh, Spock is saves Chapel again. It's kind of a repeat of the season premiere. That's weird. Uh, even though they're like broken up, they're still feelings for each other. Sure. 
Um, I guess we didn't talk about Scotty. Uh, Martin Quinn's performance is good. I like him. He's charming. Yeah, it's fine. I, it's sort of unremarkable, but I don't really want another legacy character in Strange yeah. New Worlds, to be honest. Uh, the, the last thing this series needs is to be <laughs> even more chained to canon than it already is. So, like, yeah, it's fine. He's good. It's all, all right, but I don't want another legacy character in the show. I really liked the scene where Chapel is on the ship and then mm-hmm. she looks out the window and the Enterprise is there. Oh, yeah, that was a good moment from Jess Bush. Yeah, like, I was like, ah, I have a feeling about this. Yay. Um, mm. Which is a low bar, but yeah. Um, I'd, say, I'd say seven, because I, you okay. know, I enjoyed it. Like, I, again, I think we keep talking about our disappointments with the season as a whole, and I think that is hard to get away from. Um, but yeah, I would, you know, it took up some time and I enjoyed watching it and the acting was good and the people are pretty and, you know, it's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, any overall thoughts of the season? Um, and we can give a grade for the season overall as well. I have averaged the grades we have all discussed using the power of Google Sheets. But before that, um, yeah. Any thoughts on the season overall? It's all right. I, I still feel it's a big step down from the first season. Uh, when it's when it's good, it's really, really good. But when it's bad, it's awful. The, the highs are very high, but the lows feel much worse than, than they did during the first season. And I, I hope they just get on with the business of telling stories rather than constantly having to hark back to canon next time out. I feel solidly like five territory for the entire season, um, even though there were some you know nice highs and everything. And I think for me, it was interesting because in some ways, this show took some really big swings in terms of um, uh, the, the I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but like like doing a musical episode and doing the crossover with Lower Decks and the, having the animation and like doing these things that on the surface level are like really... Um, you know, kind of groundbreaking and, and ambitious. Um, but I feel like the storytelling was not ambitious. And I kind of wish it had done, you know, the other way around, right? Like, I mean, as sad as I would be to lose those old scientists, um, I kind of wish like they had been more ambitious in their kind of storytelling um, and in their characters and, and, and not kind of going back to the well so much or not, you know, being so locked into the canon. Cause I feel like they did a much better job of that um, with the last one. Um, so I, I, it's really weird to be like, wow, this, this show took some really big swings, but not in the things that matter <laughs> to me anyway. I came into this discussion thinking, oh yeah, season two, probably as good as season one, maybe even better. And a lot of things you've both pointed out have kind of like, you know, realized that, yeah, this is chained to canon in ways that aren't beneficial to it. This is like, and just thinking about it critically instead of just enjoying the ride, um, which yeah, I, I guess there's benefits and disadvantages to both. The disadvantage to thinking about it critically is now I like the season less, but it's, you know, it gets good discussion. I mean, it's important to think about these sort of things. I guess my point is, yeah, I, this season one was better. I, looking at the season one episodes, there were so many great ones, and it also had Captain Angel in it, and there was no Angel this season, and I loved them. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, as much as I like the highs of the season, I think my two favorite episodes this season, Charades and Substance Rhapsody, uh, were better than anything in season one, blow for blow. On average, yeah, season one just had 
more original stories and just looking at the episode list more just character to it and yeah less of this uh canon that was creeping in even in a mostly one-off season because there were more i should call them plot relevant episodes season one there was more gorn there were more running threads like with mabenga's daughter and uh spock chapel was still a running thread but yeah, there. Even though there was more ongoing plot lines in the previous season, this one felt a little more shackled stuff because what it was tied to was less ongoing plot threads within itself and more Star Trek meta franchise ongoing things. And yeah, that is a bit of a bummer. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I if I were to have retroactively graded season one, I would have given it an overall nine out of ten. And I think I'll stick with this as a 9 out of 10 season of television because the highs were so high. I mean, now comparing it to other TV shows I've watched this season because, of course, I logged that too. This is better than... This is still, like, I had a, such a great time watching this season of television and it's, it was very dear to me. But, yeah, I definitely see the seams more now. Um, oh, before you give your grades, unless you have more thoughts, but I did average them, like I said, if you want me to say the averages. Yeah, yeah. go for it. Yeah, so my average, it I think it started as a solid 8, and now it's down to a 7.8 after a few adjustments as we were talking. So I've, I'm still going to stick with my 9, even though it should, by all accounts, be rounded up to an 8 if I was doing this logically. But you already bucked the average, JJ, when you gave TOS Season 1 a 9. So there you go. Um, JG, you gave an average of 6. And Rachel, you gave an average of 6.75. That seems fair. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm reasonably comfortable with that. Yeah, I was gonna say I think it makes a lot of sense because like individual bits are so good, right? Mm -hmm. And I and I also think that's probably why this is a great show to watch with a group because then you are more like high from the little bits that are great, you know? Right. And then when you see something kind of like like they just didn't gel together, like lots of greatness that didn't quite make it to being overall great. Yeah, I think I mean I think those scores are probably relatively fair um, and and sort of relatively reflective. So um, yeah, very interesting, and I'm very much of course looking forward to season three and uh, what's going to occur next. I think for there though we can probably leave things. We've been running fairly long this episode, I think it's fair to say, but uh, a, a great discussion nonetheless. Um, and so we'll skip recommendations uh, this week because we have been running so long and we will move uh, straight over to plugs. So Rachel, is there anything you would like to plug? Yeah, so I launched a winery. Um, <laughs> like, that's one of the many going on. Um, but so if you are interested in following along with us kind of making wine, our website is Novak Mason Cellars dot com and we're at Novak Mason Cellars on Instagram and please buy wine if you're in California. Um, it's really good and it's different. But more excitingly, you should look for wine from Sassoon. It's right next door to Napa. It's really good, but it's also like not as famous and so it's like way less expensive and they're doing really like um, adventurous things. So you can find really cool wines over there. So check out Sassoon. Uh, can you spell that? Because yes. I know it's S U I S U N. Sassoon. Awesome. And the website is just Sassoon.com. Novak Mason Sellers.com. Yep. Oh, Novak Mason Sellers.com. Oh, Sassoon's a city. I get it now. Yeah. Awesome. Lovely. Uh, Kevin, would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Yeah. 
you can find us on Twitter at TalkTrekToYou. And oh, I forgot to tell you this before we were talking recording, JG. I created a Blue Sky account for our podcast. Hurrah! <laughs> I'm just Excellent. posting the same links and same text even over there as well. But if you have a Blue Sky account, which if you don't know, is just lo-fi Twitter that you need an invite code to get into at this moment. Um, Twitter with less bells and whistles and hopefully less annoying people, at least at the moment. Uh, you can also find me mostly posting on Blue Sky now at Max Rebo's Roadie. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at that same app, but I barely use it these days. You can find more JG's writings at www.jgmcquarry.scott. And uh, JG also records Beatles Stuffology, where he goes to the Beatles track by track with his co-host Andrew Deacon. And I am frequently on Rowan Kaiser's podcast, Total Massacre, about action movies, whenever that starts up again, hopefully soon. Yeah, that about covers it. Oh, yeah, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever podcast you use to help other people find it. Can I throw on that I'm also now on Blue Sky at Novium for anybody, especially from like the old AV club that wants to find me because I don't have anybody on there yet. Absolutely, of course. Fantastic. Well, and also, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, through this uh, exploration of season two of Strange New Worlds, Rachel. Oh, this was great. Thank you so much. I had to had a lot of stuff to work out about this season, apparently. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic. And of course, uh, it's going to be uh, a lovely conversation. We hope people have enjoyed it. Next episode, we will be returning to the classic series, which means we will be carrying on with season two and we will be talking about who mourns for Adonis. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. Thank you.